0: If you would turn in your Bibles to Proverbs chapter 18, and in your bulletin, it looks like we will only read verse 21, and that is the main verse I would like to focus on this morning, but I'd also like to read verses 1 through 20 that come before that. So if you would follow along on page 642, Proverbs chapter 18, reading verses 1 through 21. An unfriendly man pursues selfish ends. He defies all sound judgment. A fool finds no pleasure in understanding, but delights in airing his own opinions. When wickedness comes, so does contempt, and with shame comes disgrace. The words of a man's mouth are deep waters, but the fountain of wisdom is a bubbling brook. It is not good to be partial to the wicked or to deprive the innocent of justice. A fool's lips bring him strife, and his mouth invites a beating. A fool's mouth is his undoing, and his lips are a snare to his soul. The words of a gossip are like choice morsels. They go down to a man's inmost parts. One who is slack in his work is brother to one who destroys. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run to it and are safe. The wealth of the rich is their fortified city, They imagine it, an unscalable wall. Before his downfall, a man's heart is proud, but humility comes before honor. He who answers before listening, that is his folly and his shame. A man's spirit sustains him in sickness, but a crushed spirit who can bear The heart of the discerning acquires knowledge. The ears of the wise seek it out. A gift opens the way for the giver and ushers him into the presence of the great. The first to present his case seems right, till another comes forward and questions him. Casting the lot settles disputes and keeps strong opponents apart. An offended brother is more unyielding than a fortified city, and disputes are like the barred gates of a citadel. From the fruit of his mouth, the man's stomach is filled, but the harvest from his lips he is satisfied. The tongue has the power of life and death, and those who love it will eat its fruit." And our New Testament reading for this morning is taken from Paul's letter to the church in Ephesus, and here I will read from chapter 4, verse 25 to the end of the chapter. Therefore each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to his neighbor, for we are all members of one body. In your anger do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. He who has been stealing must no must steal no longer, but must work, doing something useful with his own hands, that he may have something to share with those in need. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up, according to their needs that it may benefit those who listen. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. This is the word of the Lord. I can still remember his grubby fingers, his large hands, and his regular costume at the front of our classroom, black overalls, dingy black t-shirt. When my ninth grade math teacher paraded my final math exam in front of the entire class. He held it up like this, and he said these words. Tim Blackman, you are the worst student I have ever had, and you will never amount to anything. Now, I I was not very good at math, as you could probably tell from his comments, uh, growing up in the Netherlands, one thing you should know is just to give you a bit of a frame of reference. Uh, in Dutch schools, grades are given uh, from 0 to 10. 0, as you might imagine, is nothing. 10 would be like an A+. Somehow, I have managed on this particular math exam to get a minus 3. How that's technically possible, I don't know. Maybe is that I not only failed the regular test, but that also the extra credit was a disaster. Uh, getting a minus three is a little bit like in an American grading system, like getting a letter of the alphabet that does not yet exist. But I've never forgotten those words. I mean, some 35 years ago, Tim Blackman, you are the worst student I have ever... You will never amount to anything. Similar words were spoken to my father. He was born in the South in the 1920s. And we don't really know why. We can imagine, but we're not quite sure why he wanted to leave so desperately. He found that the only way to get a chance to get out of Raleigh, North Carolina, was to join the glee club. There's only one problem. He had never sung a note in his life. He had been exposed to some music at First Baptist Church, where his mother would take him every Sunday morning, but he had never sung or played an instrument, but he knew that he wanted to leave town and the glee club would go on choir trips. So he auditioned. And uh, I remember him vividly telling the story that he had found a recording of Cab Calloway's Yes, I Heard, and he tried to sing it. The only problem is that the only thing that came out was one note, monotone, and his choir teacher said to him, Henry Blackman, don't you ever open your mouth again and sing. The great irony in my father's story is that he spent... Uh, his entire life, some 60 years as a professional musician and a teacher of voice, uh, helping people recover their own voice, uh, his choir director's comments notwithstanding. Uh, before you draw the wrong conclusions from these two stories, that, that all middle and high school teachers are the spawn of Satan, that they are bad, I, I, have to, I have to confess something, There is another part of the story that I haven't told you about my math teacher. See, in that story, it sounds like his words were the damaging ones. It sounds like his comment was the one that has stuck with me, this unsuspecting child with dyscalculia and other kinds of math imperfections. But the truth is, for the three months preceding his comments, as egregious as they were, I had been pestering him. And I had behind the scenes been dropping little words of gossip and slander. I made fun of his unusually large hands. And large they were. Uh, he was not only a math teacher, but he was a, a farmhand. He looked like a man who worked with his hands. They were large and always dirty. And there was always dirt underneath his nails. And so I made fun of it to my classmates. Because we were in the city and he was a farmer. I made, I made fun of his overalls. He had two kinds. He had a black pair and a blue pair of jeans overalls. And he always wore it with a black t-shirt. And I made fun of his, his lack of money and his lack of style. I didn't, I didn't have the courage to, to tell this to his face, of course. Of course not. No, but I would spread rumors about it. And that there was a reason why his marriageability was deferred because of his smell. He had body odor and I made fun of him. and The words that I had been spreading about him were words of gossip and words of slander and words of disrespect. And somehow, I'm I'm sure it didn't take that long, he began to hear that I had been saying these kinds of things, and sometimes I would begin to mutter them under my breath in the classroom. And so when he spoke those words to me, Tim Blackman, you are the worst students I had ever had. What he was actually saying is that you have have hurt me, you have wounded me, you have embarrassed me, you have actually humiliated me, and the classroom atmosphere that you have created with your words leave me no other option but to lash out at you. This is the, the power of words. I discovered it then. And the last year I've been fascinated by uh, Proverbs like the one we have just read. Look at it again. The tongue has the power of life and death. Oh, my math teacher knew that the way to get my attention as an insurgent in his classroom was to humiliate me in front of everyone because he knew Proverbs 18.21. There is tremendous power in the tongue. I imagine that some of you right now are thinking back to a similar experience that you may have had. Maybe it's 35 years ago. Maybe it's 50 years ago. Maybe it's 80 years ago. Last summer when I was at a church in San Diego and I talked about this very thing, I asked the congregation, what were the most powerful words that have ever been spoken to you An 82-year-old lady stood up. She said, I will never forget when I was 10 years old, I asked my mom, Mom, am I pretty? And the stern and somewhat legalistic mother turned to her and said, pretty is as pretty does, and walked away. And this 82-year-old woman had never forgotten the impact of those words. But you and I sitting here may... Uh, may, may remember some words that have been spoken to you, words that were debilitating or discouraging to you. Maybe it was a mom, maybe it was a father. It could have been a teacher, or maybe it is a spouse. You might even be sitting next to someone right now, and chances are the person who has wounded you the most with words is sitting right there because it is a mother, it is a father, it is a brother or a sister, it is a son or a daughter. Well, the power of life and death is in the tongue. Now, one of the things that I love about Proverbs is is that it is what scholars call a reality-based phenomenon. Now, you've noticed, I noticed that you've you've had a few sessions about the, the book of Proverbs and about wisdom, and you will notice the way Proverbs work. It's not like there are five tips and techniques for a perfect marriage or six rules for your communication or 12 things you need to do for proper finance. It's not actually that cut and dry. There is no clear-cut guide to parenting that says, if you follow these principles, all your parenting problems go away. It doesn't doesn't quite work that way. Sometimes we, we wish it did, but it doesn't work that way. What instead we have here is a wise perspective on the way things really are. And the authors of these Proverbs are basically saying, if you pay attention to the world around you, if you notice, if you are discerning, then you will see that this is the way the world works. So, as we see here, for example, in chapter 18, if you look at it, there is a wide variety of things in the world that are addressed. One of them is the tongue. We'll get back to that as well. But there is also one, for example, in verse 9. One who is slack in his work is a brother to one who destroys. And And the book of Proverbs is full of all of these kinds of insights into reality. If you don't work hard, this is what's going to happen. If you are slack, if your hand is lazy, you are going to go hungry. Pay attention to the world, and this is what you are going to see time again and again. And in this way, there is wisdom about money and about relationships and about sexuality and about temptation and about truth telling and about hard work. And in all of it, they're saying, please pay attention to the world. Pay attention to the way the world works because if you do, you will be wise. And if you pay attention to the way the world really is, the main thing that you will see is that God is a really big deal. Fear the Lord your God, because that is the beginning of wisdom. So if you want to see the way the world works, pay attention to these things. So, so here you, you pay attention. I, I just want to give you a, a, a quick example here. In, just in verse 21 alone, the tongue has the power of life and death, and those who love it will eat its fruit And the verse right before that, from the fruit of his mouth a man's stomach is filled, with the harvest from his lips he is satisfied. In other words, the words that you speak create worlds, they do something. Have you ever ever noticed the things we can do with the words we speak? Let's just do a a poll. I'm gonna just ask you what are some things that you can do with words? You encourage. You teach, discipline, nurture, sign. I mean, this is just a; these are just a handful of things. But words are unbelievably powerful. You've noticed the power of words when you stand. Some of you stood maybe in this very spot here, and you said, "I do." until death do us part. And those words were perhaps the most powerful words you had ever spoken. Or if the pastor is standing right here with you holding a newborn infant, and the pastor asks you, will you raise this child in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ? And you say the words, with God's help we will. Those are powerful words. We use words to promise, We use words to make covenants. We use words to warn. We use words to invite. Advertisers use words to sell you the best possible soap you could ever buy. It's going to change your life. They use words. They try to trick you. They try to bamboozle you. Politicians use words, usually aimed less at your brain and more at your belly, at your gut. They're trying to convince you of their plan and their program. Think of the powerful words of when someone turns to you and says, I love you. I have always loved you. There was a father at a conference earlier on this summer where I spoke, and he he mentioned to me the love that he had for his adopted child, his adopted son. And he he noticed how when he spoke these words to his son, that there was a twinkle in his eye. He said, son, even before you were born, we knew that we would have an opportunity to adopt you. And I have loved you even from the day that we heard your name for the first time. Those words breathe life into this young man. Think of how different that, that sounds than, I have never loved you. I should have never married you. It was, a, it was a mistake to ever have children with you. These are the kinds of words that can be spoken by a spouse to another, and they will be remembered forever. Difficult to forget. Or how about this? When an employee gets invited to her boss's office, coming in with fear and trepidation. They know that the words of that employer have the power even to break or to make this person. How eager they are, all of us are, as employees, to hear the words from, from our boss or our supervisor or our manager. Tim, we are so, we are so delighted that you have come to Wheatley College. You are a gift. We, we, who doesn't want to hear those words? We are so glad you are here. Or what if you come into the office and you hear these words, Tim, we have lost confidence in your ability to do the work to the level or standard that we have required of you. You are fired. You see the difference in the power of the difference in those kinds of words. Let me give you an example here from the text. Look at verse 6. If you pay attention to reality, you'll see this, a fool's lip brings him strife and his mouth invites a beating. I'll give you a very tangible example. I have, uh, I have four children, three boys and a girl, and my two youngest sons are into sports and they are very competitive. And they have I think have learned from their father that that losing is overrated. So we don't like to lose. And when they're playing ball of some kind in the backyard. It could be football, baseball, basketball. It could be just about anything. I've noticed that one of my sons, who will remain unnamed, has, um, let's, let's just say his eyesight needs to be checked. When there is a close call, he will argue every single call. Some of you have brothers and sisters that do this. Just raise your hand if you do this. They, we call it cheating. And at, at, at one point, I simply said to him, you cannot possibly argue this call. He was clearly out, or it was clearly a foul, or you're clearly not allowed to do that, or that is a travel if it's a basketball. No, you're really not allowed to walk with basketball. Oh, Dad, I wasn't walking. Yes, you were walking. And anyway, these things, they, you, I don't know if you, maybe this is my family, but you've noticed these things escalate. And at one point I turned to him and I said something to the effect of, you know, it's one thing for you, to be a fool in the backyard about competition and when you're playing with your brother or your sister. Because they're going to be forgiving. They're going to be accommodating. But there is going to be a playground somewhere, sometime, where if you pull this, someone may take a swing at you. Now, it's not a warning, but what it is, it's a little piece of wisdom that says, a fool's lips walk into a fight this is exactly how, on some playgrounds, you will invite a beating. Pay attention to the world because this is the way the world works. Uh, n- notice also in verse 8, uh, the words of a gossip. They are like a, what's the word used there? A tasty morsel. And I don't know if you've ever noticed this. I don't know if you ever gossip or not. Maybe, maybe this is the one church in the universe where gossip never happens. I bet not. But I don't know if you've noticed that there is a temptation in gossip that somehow feels delicious. The text actually in the Hebrew, maybe an even better translation would be the words of a whisperer. Think of that, the words of a whisper, somebody who's whispering gossip behind the scenes, they are like a juicy morsel because you know on the tip of your tongue there is something you just want to say and you can't help it, you know. That what you are about to say is not actually going to improve the reputation and well-being of your brother and sister, but oh, it's so juicy, and you just cannot wait to say it. You just can't help yourself. You just got to say it, and then, of course, you share it in the name of Jesus as a prayer request because you don't want to be accused of gossiping. But we all know that this is a juicy morsel in your mouth. If you pay attention to the way the world works, watch watch what happens. So, So let's say, I'll just put myself in the role of the whisperer here, and I'm going to whisper something into this congregation's ear, namely this. I have read your pastor's doctoral dissertation, and I am pretty sure that he has plagiarized And his knowledge of Dutch, mm, not so good. (laughs) And he didn't actually use the Dutch translations when he was working on his dissertation. He used a very poor English translation. And anyone worth their salt who reads the book will know this. Okay, so that's what I've whispered into your ear. You don't know if this is true or not. You don't know if I've actually read his dissertation or not, and you don't know whether or not he's actually plagiarized or not, and you can't discern whether or not his level of the Dutch language is actually sufficient or not. But here's what's happened. My relationship with Pastor Greg has now changed because I have whispered a juicy morsel of gossip in your ear that he does not know of, and my relationship with him is not now, is not. Clear. We are not clear. Because there is going to be a moment where he is going to find out, right now I'm enjoying friendship with him, but these words at some point will tear away at the fabric of our relationship. You see this? My relationship with him has changed. Because we are now no longer able to proceed at the speed of trust. He can't trust me. He doesn't know what I'm going to say or what rumors I am going to spread. But something else has happened. Pay attention to reality. Not only has my relationship with Pastor Greg changed, your relationship with Pastor Greg has changed as well. Because you know know what? Actually, I'm wondering if parts of that dissertation, maybe there's something to it. And now you begin to question his scholarship. And he doesn't know why all of a sudden you are giving him the cold shoulder, why you don't return his calls anymore, or are you less receptive to his invitations to serve. He doesn't know why all of a sudden his relationship with you is strained, but it's because of the words of the whisperer. He doesn't know, but you know. But that's not only it. Not only is my relationship with Greg changed because I'm the whisperer, and your relationship with Greg has changed, my relationship with you is now changed. Because you know that if I would speak about him in such a way in public, Maybe when the time is right, I might talk about you that way in private as well. So now you don't trust me. Either. See, this is, this is why Proverbs is absolutely brilliant. The words of the whisperer, they go down like a juicy morsel. But they have the power of life and death, and they can tear away at the fabric. And you can imagine what would happen if a couple of hundred of people in a congregation like this are constantly talking. Oh, did you hear about the elders? Or did you hear about so-and-so? Oh, it looks like they're divorcing. Oh, they're not sitting together anymore. Oh, I wonder what kind of parents they are. And you begin spreading gossip like that. The words of the whisper. they're sweet like a morsel. But they tear away the fabric of every family, every school, every business, and every church congregation. I want to to draw your attention briefly to how Paul deals with this in the book of Ephesians. Would you turn there in your Bibles, Ephesians 4, I want to just briefly show you this. This is part of a classic arrangement in the way Paul sets up his teaching about the power of the tongue. Uh, in, In almost every letter that Paul writes, it begins this way. Somewhere near the beginning of his letters he will begin with this beautiful explanation of what God has done through Jesus in the power of the Holy Spirit look for example in the book of ephesians in chapter 1 this is how it begins praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ for he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. And then he goes on and on and on, praising what God has done, the finished work of Jesus. He has chosen us. He has elected us. He has given us the power of the resurrection and all that stuff. That's always in the beginning of Paul's letters. And then later on, usually near the end of his letters, Paul then begins to explain what the implications of the righteousness and holiness and power, and resurrection of Jesus Christ mean for your everyday life? And that's the section we are in now. So so read this in verse 25 as, in light of everything that God has done through Jesus, and in light of who you are in Jesus Christ, now here is is what we need to know. And then Paul tells us three things here. First of all, he, he tells us in verse 25, Each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to his neighbor. So he's basically saying, you need to stop lying and you need to start speaking the truth. That's the first thing he addresses. Then, the second thing he addresses is in verse 28, where he says, He who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work. So he says, stop lying, speak the truth, stop stealing, start working, with your own hands so that you can help people in need. And then in verse 29, and this is the first word I, first verse I ever memorized as a new believer. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. Or in some translations we'll say that it may give grace to those who hear. When it says here, let no corrupting talk or let no unwholesome talk, he's actually using the, the, the word used to designate rotting garbage. Now, this past weekend wasn't super warm, but I had a trash can right outside my house. And I don't know, I don't know what was growing inside it, but you've had these, right? It's particularly when you have like meat juices in the bottom of the garage and there is a There is a smell so funky. It's like, I want to remove it from my property. Get get rid of this. Now, imagine having that trash can in the middle of your living room. What would you do? You, You would find a way to obliterate it, to get rid of it, to remove it immediately as far away from your living room as possible because of the stench. This is the word Paul uses. He says, let no... Words come out of your mouth that are rotting, that are filled with this filthy, rotting stench because it is garbage coming out of your mouth. And rotting words can be words of profanity or words of slander or words of incessant criticism or words of nonstop complaining, but they are rotting words. And instead what we have is this amazing guide, this this wise guide for how to speak. What would happen if we, we asked just a few of these questions? Before you open your mouth, ask this question. Will the words that I am about to speak build up the person to whom I am speaking? Some of your translations may say, only speak those words which edify, and it literally has to do with the construction of a building. Think of, think of your words as, as the architect of someone's soul, or the building of a family, or the creating of a world in your school, or in your church, or in your company. You're, you're building something, so are you, are you building... The person that you are speaking to, are you you breathing life into them? Are you breathing joy into them? And you'll notice this because when you do this, you will see that the people around you get a sparkle in their eyes. You've noticed this, right? Think of the power of your tongue for a moment right now if you have children at home. That you have the power to say something today that so encourages them that so renews them, that so refreshes them, that makes them so grateful for being alive. You have that power in your mouth. And Paul is saying, because of everything that Jesus has done, because you belong to him, because you have been chosen by him, because you have been set apart by him, now go speak words of life, because the word of life has been spoken to you, and it has made you right with God. Before you open your mouth, ask the question, will these words build up? Will they be edifying? One of the the great joys of my, my job as a chaplain at Wheaton is to see faculty, staff, and students teaching, learning, performing, practicing their craft, training for athletic events, and, and every morning, because I, I, want to, I want to practice this, every morning I ask the Lord, the so Lord, who today needs to have a word of encouragement? And so I, I write, every day I'm looking for people who need, need a word of encouragement. I'll, I'll write them a note. So the other day, a couple months ago, I saw this, this, this college senior on our football team. And I realized that this young man, about to graduate, had not played a single minute in all four years that he was in, but I had noticed through practices and standing on the sidelines that he was always encouraging. He was always cheering people on. So I said, I, "And this is this is this was like in January, and I thought I'm going to encourage him." So I write him a note and says, "I want you to know that while no one has been able to see." What you can do on a football field as part of this team. I want you to notice that I have been able to see what kind of man you are on the sidelines. And I thank God for you. This is exciting. I have no idea. I have no idea when he's going to get my note. It's in the mail. He's going to get it. And I guarantee you it's going to encourage. What would happen if every time somebody sings a song or plays the guitar or preaches a sermon or cooks a meal, you are asking God, God, who needs to be encouraged today? And it can be somebody in your immediate sphere of influence or it can be somebody outside. this This makes life a tremendous adventure. Something happens in the news, I write the person a note. There was that that brutal killing in Dallas a couple months ago where there were seven police officers that were killed. And I thought, there is a police chief there. This police chief must be at his wits' end. I wonder who's encouraging him. I asked the Lord that morning, who needs encouragement? So I find the, the address of the police chief in Dallas. I have no idea if he ever gets it. It doesn't matter. Paul says, because you are in Christ Jesus, use words that build people up. He also says, as, as it fits the occasion, and this takes some wisdom, ask this question. Are the words that I am about to speak, do they fit the occasion? Are they carefully discerned? Are they appropriate? I've been, uh, I've been married for some 24 years, and uh, one of the things that I, I notice is that, uh, for those of you who've been married for a while, uh, at first... When you say something that you're not supposed to say, and your spouse doesn't approve of it, they say something about it. After a while, you you no longer get a verbal reprimand. You just get a look. <laughs> Does your spouse give you that look? You know, they... And all my wife has to do is is raise her eyebrows. When she thinks that I'm about to say something inappropriate or slightly off color or something that might be a juicy morsel of gossip, all she has to do is raise her little eyebrow and really what she is saying is, are you sure you want to go there? Are you sure you want to say this? It's good to have somebody ask these questions of us. Will these words build up? And will they be edifying? Are they fitting? This takes discernment. My hope for you and for this congregation is that we would become fluent in the language of grace, that we would become the people who say quickly, I am sorry, please forgive me, thank you, how can I help you? These are powerful words that create worlds all around us. And think of the potential power of this not only for your pastors and elders, but for your school teachers and for the people that serve you coffee at a restaurant. The power of life and death is in the tongue. My hope and prayer is that you would become fluent in the language of grace. Think of it as learning to speak a completely different language. When we, uh, when we lived in the Netherlands, we would, uh, we would often meet people in the business world who needed a crash course in Dutch. And uh, Dutch is not necessarily an easy language to learn. I mean, all you have to do is to check your pastor's dissertation. You know, it's a difficult one. (laughs) But it's not an easy language to learn. And so what they would do with this business person, they would send them to this nunnery. There is a convent in the south of the Netherlands near Maastricht and uh, this, this nunnery is for as long as for hundreds of years now these nuns have taken it upon themselves to educate people in primarily from what i remember German French Dutch and English and they have an unusual approach uh, you can take the 2 week course but they recommend either the 3 month Or the six month course. And the day you get there, even if you have never spoken the language that you are about to learn, that is the last day you are allowed to say anything in your native tongue. So if you've never spoken Dutch and you go to the nunnery and you show up on Monday, Monday morning at breakfast, you talk in Dutch, you dream in Dutch. You have your meals in Dutch. You take your classes in Dutch. The only words that you are allowed to use are in the Dutch language. And People realize it is absolutely exhausting and extremely effective because they what they do is they immerse these people deeply in this language, and this way of thinking, and it is amazing what happens. Some, some of them after two weeks, but almost everyone after three months and six months comes out speaking in this language fluent. This is exactly what this room is for. This is our nunnery, and our hope is that you would be so deeply immersed in the beauty and power of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that you would know that you are loved and saved and rescued, that you have been declared righteous by Jesus Christ, that you are so immersed in that, so surrounded by that, that the only thing that inevitably will now come out of your mouth is the language of grace. So may God make it so in this church. May you and I learn to speak the language of grace fluently. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we we prayed that the words of our mouths and the meditations of our hearts would be pleasing to you. And now, in light of the power of the tongue, and discovering what our mouth is really for, we sit before you with fear and trembling. Because we know that we have spoken words that have been hurtful and debilitating. We have spoken words of gossip and slander and blasphemy, even. And we humbly repent and need the power of of the Lord Jesus Christ, not only to forgive us, but to make us fluent in this language of grace. Lord, we we give you thanks for the tremendous potential that you have given to us by giving us a mouth. As we leave this morning, may we use it to point people to Jesus, to build them up, to speak words that are carefully discerned and bring grace to others. In Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said,